Good morning, Sleepy Town. I'm Beau Bartlett, and you're listening to The Art House. Art House Radio on 88.5 WCUG. Coming to you from the Carpenters Building at 9th and Broadway, across the tracks, in beautiful downtown Columbus, Georgia. How y'all doing today? Good, good. Glad to hear it. Glad you're here with us on the radio. Thanks for tuning in. We have a great show for you today. We have an interview with our guest, Najee Dorsey, artist, founder and CEO of Black Art in America. We're lucky to have Najee with us. We have a word of the day. The word of the day is galvanize. Galvanize means when things come together. Officially, it is to cause people to take action on something that they are excited or concerned about. To galvanize, to galvanize a group of people. I I, I was wondering where it came from. It comes from Luigi Galvini, who was an Italian uh, physicist in the 1700s. And he did experiments with running electricity through frogs' legs. He got the electricity to move the frog's leg. So he was causing a current to happen and then for a, an event to happen. And so the French picked it up and used the word galvanism. And then in the English translation turned out to be galvanize. Quote of the day today comes from Adam Grant. Don't make your ideas your identity. Don't say, let's agree to disagree. Ask instead, with those you disagree with, how did you arrive at that belief? Although our information continues to be incomplete, we can continue to learn anew each day. Although our information continues to be incomplete, we can continue to learn anew each day. Adam Grant Behind us here, we're listening to Jake X. Fussell, Frolic. Catch you at the end of this, and we'll start our conversation with Najee. Welcome to the Art House. Good morning, Najee Dorsey. How are you this morning? Doing great, Bo. What about yourself? I'm fine. Thank you. So glad you could be with us on the radio this morning. Man, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, Black Art in America is a thing. It's a big thing and becoming a bigger thing. Tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got here. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing art since the age of five. I sold my first early drawings to my mother. She was my first patron to go buy candy. And I did art all through school. Had a, a junior high school art teacher that was extremely supportive, Miss Barfield. I still remember her to this day. Hmm. But I was the type that, you know, I, I realized quickly that the regiment of school really wasn't for me. I went to two classes and, and dropped out, got distracted by some other things, but thankfully came to meet people who continued to, you know, pour into me and, and support my interest in art. One being Najar Abdul Moussa, who was a uh, undergraduate at Southern Illinois University at the time. And I was introduced to him. He pulled me back into the studio. Next thing I know, we started doing, you know, workshops, working within the community, doing programming. And I just kind of got, you know, re-engaged with art. And so it's been a, a constant back and forth. But I would say, you know, I used to always say that I had talent, but I didn't really develop the passion for, for being an artist and being a creative until the late 90s. You mm-hmm. know, that's when... I started to go visit galleries and the big city that was close to me. I grew up in a small town, Blavo, Arkansas. You know, at the time I left in 2005, I think we had about 13,000 people, but Memphis was the big city, mm-hmm. you know, so I started the show there in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. And then in 2005, you know, after, you know, a crazy idealistic run for city council in my hometown and, <laughs> and, and all that good stuff, just decided to make art my focus. Because I had, you know, always had success working for other people. And I said, well, you know, what type of success or what kind of life could I live if I poured all my energy and efforts into being an artist, you know, and kind of seeing that through. And that's when 
Satiri and I, my wife of 27 years now, moved to Atlanta, you know, started to do shows and, you know, meet collectors. And for the first five years, it was solely focused on myself as an individual artist. And in 2010, I found myself in uh, Chicago. Chicago's got a really strong, really rich community of collectors and artists. And, you know, I was sitting around at a dinner table of Nelson and Alice Scott, who were well-known collectors, members of Dash Rhythms, which is a collectors group on the south side of Chicago that's focused on supporting living artists. And we was talking about the same issues that, you know, we always would talk about, you know, issues of, you know, representation, not much, uh, you know, media, how can we galvanize, speaking to galvanize uh, a community of people and where we know, um, you know, other artists and other collectors. And then that's when I had that epiphany, that moment that, you know, Barack Obama talks about, you know, you be the change that you're looking for. And that's when the concept for Black Art in America kind of, the seed was kind of planted. And from there, we started out just looking to be a resource, being a being a space where we can share work by artists and share work by the industry. And, and it just quickly grew. So that's just kind of a quick synopsis of kind of like how how things uh, happen. But, you know, we're a multifaceted company. We've done a lot of different things over the last 11, right at 12 years now, from producing art shows, being an active art dealer and collector, working with artists, promoting artists. We pride ourselves, particularly over the last, you know, three years of being an entity that pays the most writers to write about black visual culture, mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, we're constantly growing and uh, becoming more innovative as a company, I think, you know, even, you know, in, in the early infancy of social media, you know, we were right there within the first couple of years after Facebook and, and building yeah. this audience and it's just continued to grow. So, yeah, so, yeah I'm, I'm rambling now. Go ahead. No, I'm with you right here because I was I was thinking several things at once there. But uh, when did we first meet? Because you had a show at the Columbus Museum. Yeah. Yeah. So what, and what year was that? That was 2014. OK. Yep. I had a show. And then that's when, you know, we moved to uh, moved to Columbus after being in Atlanta for nine years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, saw opportunity and met, you know, a cool group of people in the community that were you know, really supportive and, and really interesting. So we thought, say, you know, Columbus could be a fit for us, maybe. So. Yeah, we were both moving into the Swift Mill building right around the same time, I guess. <laughs> right. And so we had studios not far from each other, which was a great time. Yeah. I don't know how long Black Art in America had started before that. You had the van, I remember, because it was parked out in the parking lot with Black Art yeah. in America on it. But you were sort of ahead of the, the game in a lot of ways. Ahead of, you were on the cusp of, of what has become. Like, I remember at the time when I first read Black Art in America, I thought, well, that's sort of brazen, you know? It's like, because you were taking the Art in America name and sort of like throwing Black in front of it. And, and I remember at the time thinking, well, that's sort of brazen of him. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you were just like right before a, a real movement. Yeah, well, you know, the thing about it is, I mean, at that time, I mean, post-black, you know, which is coined, you know, or popularized by Thelma Golden was was kind of a thing. Yeah. But for me, it was really simple. You know, we could say, you know, well, art, it came from Art in America, but it also came from, I had a good friend of mine who had a website called Black Men in America. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just an easy way for people to understand the aesthetic and the mission, you know, and so not to necessarily consider you know boxing some people see it as a way of boxing people into a particular category i think it's just a way to, to easily identify you're not going to go in the phone book and look for italian restaurants and look up american cuisine you know mm -hmm. it's just you know it's just it's just the reality of the the way things are and so you know at one point you know there were terms that were used to categorize people and still you know and still to this day at one time we were colored at one point one point we were negro you know mm -hmm. and now we're you know we were some black and african-american so on and so forth and at one time before it was socially accepted within the mainstream of American art, you know, it was it was called, called black art. You know, it's right. like what people identified. And so mm -hmm. therein lies, you know, the interest like I don't have an issue. Some people have an issue with, you know, with that type of terminology. But I remember talking with Faith Ringo one day and Faith Ringo noted, you know, artist woman. I mean, she's at, you know, mm -hmm. in all the major museums. And please, please look her up if you're not familiar with Faith Ringo. But she was she was on a panel one day and the question came up about black art. You know, is there such a thing or, you know, this and that. And she said, well, now she's the only African-American in the room. Well, it's like two African-American people in the room and she's on the panel. She said, well, listen, if you don't want to be classified as white, you know, raise your hand or stand up. And nobody raised their hand or stood up, you know. And so like this question becomes, an issue when, you know, identity relates to African-Americans because nobody else is, you know, no one else is going to separate themselves from their culture. But anyway, it's, it's, 
that's just that's just my standpoint. And 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 so I just wanted it to be an easy place on the web for people to find a particular aesthetic, mm-hmm. you know, a certain group of artists. But yeah, we, you know, we were ahead of the curve. But I think we were ahead of the curve in many other capacities, more than than just the than just the title itself. I'm completely, completely. I mean, because it's really not to me. It's not so much about like an ethnicity. It's more about a whole movement. It's like uh, Black Art in America becomes a concept, like. Um, you know, impressionism or expressionism or, you know, conceptualism or minimalism. I mean, almost in a way, I mean, we're in that moment right now where black art in America is the movement. Yeah, so. I, I would I would, I would definitely agree. And I think the market, you know, uh, the market is indicative of it, whether it's, you know, the museum shows or where it's, whether it's auction records or whether it's, you know, I just got back from Miami or Basel, which I think is one of the things you wanted to kind of kind of talk about as yeah, well. I, I mean, there were. I mean, every single fair you went to that was more of a presence was speaking about being ahead of the curve. You know, Bo, we actually, you know, I went down to Miami Art Basel in 2010, the first year of Black mm-hmm. Art in America. In 2011, I participated with a group of dealers to have a presence for African-American art during Art Basel. Now, we were we were just in Wynwood, you know, in this garage, but we had space for people who were interested in the material to find us. And so in 2012 is when we launched the whole Do You Basel campaign. <laughs> right, right. And I don't know if you, you know. I do. I okay, yeah. yeah. And so it was so popular that the producers of the main fair, our Basel, reached out to us to congratulate us. Because basically what we were doing was saying, hey, you got the largest art fair that takes place in the Americas taking place. You got half a billion dollars of art being sold in a one week period. How can we get in where we fit in? You know, and so at that time, there weren't many uh, artists of color, African American artists, even you know, going to the fairs, let alone showing. Right. Like you would not, you would, you. It was scarce to find any material. Maybe a Kahindi Wiley. Yeah, right. maybe Kahindi Wiley, Carol Walker. You know, just but a handful. Yeah. But Bo, over the course of the last, you know, 10, 11 years, man. I mean, it has completely changed completely. the landscape. I mean, going. I would say going back to you know twenty. 16 maybe i think it was the year that they had the barclay Hendricks on the front cover of art basel the magazine yeah. that they produce and then quickly after that they had amy Sherrill, and next thing you know you had deborah roberts and so over the course of the last five years there's been a transition not only with what's happening within affairs but again what's happening nationally what's happening in the marketplace what's happening in the auction places and even with the museums and so this year, there was a huge contingency of works by artists of color, not only African-American, but artists of the diaspora that were being shown at all the fairs. That's, that's what I want to get into. So let's let's take a music break. Let's take a break. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get into this year's uh, review of Miami Basel with Najee Dorsey. And Najee, I think you brought some music for us today. So we would love to hear a selection. What what, what do you have first for us? Well, so D- this is a... D- DJ Najee. Big Woo. This, this is a <laughs> soundtrack that I listen to all the time. Chicago Stepper soundtrack. Uh, DJ Big Woo. I hope you enjoy the first clip. Thank you. 
listening to The Art House on 88.5 WCUG from Columbus, Georgia. I'm Bo Bartlett, and I'm here with our guest, Najee Dorsey. Najee, that was a great piece of music. Thanks for that. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Okay, I'm looking forward to getting into talking about Miami, Basel this year, 2021. Mm-hmm. Tell us what the highlights were. Tell us, tell us about your experience down there. I, I saw a clip of you driving <laughs> your van with a newspaper, the wonderful art newspaper, Black Art in America, with a police escort. This was on your Instagram account, Black Art in America Instagram. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about. Yeah, it's what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, it's really not not a whole lot. I was just, you know, going to to make a delivery at Untitled and scope of uh, of papers, and I just happened to ask. I said, "Listen, I've got a." But parking was horrible. Anybody that's been down to Miami or Basel is just like you get an additional fifty, sixty thousand people in the city that's already just, you know, just has horrible traffic. And so I just went up to the entry point where the security was. I said, "Listen, I've got papers to deliver," and they said. <laughs> Oh, would you like a police escort? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know. And so that's—I mean, really, it was not much to it. It was just so unexpected. So yeah. I had to, I had to, I had to share that moment. It looked good. It looked very official. Yeah, it was. It was definitely official. <laughs> and you couldn't beat it. So, so what, what did you see down there? What, what were the highlights? If you had to like find some highlights off the top that you really yeah. moved you I would, artistically. It's it's you know the crazy thing, but I do you see so much work. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's really it's really difficult to find something that just because for me, like if something moves me, it's like, OK, am I looking to shop? Right. You know, because I'm a, you know, most yeah. interior now we're avid collectors. And so I, swear, I ran across a couple of people. I would say like the fair that I make it a point to go see every year is going to be untitled. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's always because they're always cutting edge. They're always, you know, with the new and interesting. And so untitled is definitely at the top of my list. Our Basel, the main fair, was was extremely interesting and it had some great work. You know, they've got everything from, you know, the major uh, Kandinsky's and Basquiat's and Picasso's to a number of uh, galleries just carrying uh, contemporary artists. And so, like, I think about some of the artists that we used to, that we worked with years ago, like a Gerald Lavelle, who's now showing with PayPal at, at Basel, who's doing phenomenal work. Even uh, Kavi Gupta, you know, mm-hmm. Chicago, gallerist out of Chicago, who's yeah. carrying... Like Alfred Conte's work, who's in Atlanta, who I think is really among the exceptional artists of this time. Um, Whose piece you got down here at the Bo Bartlett Center? <laughs> did. Nice yeah. plug. We had the Bo Bartlett Center. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks for that. A yeah. Beautiful piece. What yeah. a great painter. There was a ton of great work, but but as I mentioned earlier, there were so many galleries just carrying work by artists of color and artists of the diaspora, and it's just great to see the mark, the interest in the market, the frenzy over the material. I mean, you're going to go to fairs there and it really the majority of the booth is already sold out, you know. And so, you know, there's the work is in high demand. But I also look forward. And, and here's the thing that I think that kind of separates us from, you know, traditional art media, you know, even. And, and I say this even with uh, my colleagues that cover, you know, Art Basel for, you know, like the Grio and the Root. I remember, you know, the early years of, of going down there, like they would typically stay at the main fairs. You know, but we make it a point to get out into the community, mm. you know, so we go to Little Haiti Cultural Center or we'll go to RB. We'll go to these little small satellite mom and pop, really just marketplaces where artists are set up, yeah. you know, trying to trying to make their way. And we would go be supportive. We let let our audience know that this is going on as well. So you can have a full experience. And I think that's the thing that we do is to bring balance to the entire ecosystem of where you can find works by artists of color, uh, African-American artists. So we don't just focus on the blue chip, you know? And so I think we're more of a grassroots, ground up kind of approach as a company. And so that's one thing that I like to pride myself on. So, but the work is, the work is amazing, man. And, you know, our, our Basel is definitely a destination that, that, that I would just encourage everyone to experience at some point in their life. Yeah, it's, it's a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's incredible for you to you know that you support younger artists and less known artists that you and Soteria do that because it's so important for young artists to be able to to sell their work and get in collections. Even you know one of the things that we've done with being based here in Columbus while we're here and you know even though we're moving to Atlanta shortly is we've worked with you know we've had a number of interns and students from Columbus State University like right now we've got um, this last graduating class 
our graphic designer for the company that handles all our graphics, even the layout for the publication, Sierra Fountain. She's a Columbus State grad, you know, and uh, we've got Don Tenarius Kelly goes by DK. He's working with us. He started out in the Fulfillment Center, but he's a, a fantastic artist. He was my right hand in Miami for Basel. I took him down there. And so that when I think about, you know, being 21 years of age, right, and being able to go to a place like Miami or Basel and, exp- and have that type of experience, but not only um, seeing it from the side of a spectator, but seeing it from the vantage point of working with Black Art in America and our company and the behind the scenes things that he was able to take advantage of. And I would imagine, you know, that this is going to, you know, this has got to be yeah. worth, you know, five or 10 years of, of trajectory that he, you know, that he's going to have just based on that experience, right. you know? And so it's been great, man. We had to constantly, you know, reach back. And you've done a great job of that. I know you've, you know, I've seen a number of the interns that work with you and in your program and also at the Bo Bartlett Center. So it's just something that we had to continue to do. Yeah. You were there, I think, on the very first day that we did uh, Home is Where the Art Is. You were there the very first uh, few weeks when we, we didn't have a name for the program. We were, we were just like, we're like, what are we going to call this thing, you know? And, uh, you know, it's working with the homeless up in the basement of, of the church up in Rose Hill. But we were there trying to bounce names around. And I don't remember whether you said it first or I said it first, but we said it pretty much at the same time. It was like, home home is where the art is. We were bouncing around names. And so, you you know, you basically coined that. And I appreciate your uh, being there and helping establish that and it's, it's, it's great work you know it's that's the thing that I really admire most is oftentimes we we celebrate people who are really talented artists for me I think when artists are creating fantastic work but make space for other people and create opportunities for other people those are the ones that I think that really need to be championed because what do you do with your resources you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, those, you know, you can sell a painting for X number of dollars and you live well and all this and all that. But what other lives are you impacting with those resources? And that's the thing that I have to commend you on and a number of other people. And I think that that's, you know, and I would say the same thing for us, like Black Art in America exists because I've been a successful artist. But it's been a constant reinvestment in the culture and reinvestment in other people, you know, reinvestment in things that, that we're interested in. And, and, I, and I tell people all the time, like, I remember I have a colleague that's basically just like Black Art in America in the literary space, Troy Johnson, AALBC. And he said to me, he said, man, he said, you came out with this, you know, buy you the mag. He said, I wish I could do something like that. And I said, well, do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, you know, I mean, what's the, it's like you, if you have to pay to see the things that you want in this world, then that's what you do. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't understand people who don't have that type of mindset. You know, like if there's something you want to see in this world, then you might just have to be the one to finance it. That's right. Yeah. And I guess it does take a little bit of chutzpah, a little bit of guts, you know, to, to put yourself out there because there's always the risk of failure or not going well. But you have to believe in the idea and believe there's a, a, a need. You do what it takes and make those risks and put it out there. Yeah. You know, I, I was I was kind of reflecting on uh, on what we're doing, particularly with the paper and and with the writers that we're paying to write for content. And I was thinking, I said, I wonder, is this basically me paying for my own art education? Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause mm-hmm. cause I read every art. I mean, I assign every assignment. Right. I read every I read every article. You know, I mean, I'm there <laughs> with the layout. And so like, but this is what interests me. Mm-hmm. And I think about how I was in school. Like, I didn't have great grades, but when it was something I was really interested in. Yeah. I mean, I excelled in it. And so for me, it's like, I wonder, is Black Art in America, because I'm curating that content, curating this this experience and documenting this culture, like, this is my education. Right, exactly. You, you know? It's the, uh, you get what you give, you know? It's like, the more more you give, the more you receive. And, and that, yeah, you get it back. I think I'm, I'm ready for a little more music. Would you like to offer up another selection? Let's see what Big Woo on.
listening to The Art House on 88.5 WCUG. I'm Bo, and I'm here with Najee, Najee Dorsey. I'm enjoying your music selections, Najee. Thank you. Oh, man, I'm happy to be here and happy to, happy to share what, what I enjoy so much. Yeah, thanks. I, I want to talk a little bit. Well, there's several things I want to try to cover while, we, while we've got the time. A few things I want to try to cover. And one of them is sort of the everyday art practice and how that balances with the business aspect of it, because I think you have a great balance. Personally, I think you have a great balance of sort of all quadrants, all levels aspect of, of how you're in the world with your creativity and with the way you share it and with the, uh, the publication, Black Art in America, and the business and what you do. So just what does a day look like for you? I mean, maybe, maybe that's the best way to, to phrase the question. Like, how do you go about a day? You know, every day is, every day is different. So I don't have a regimented day from, from, the st- from the standpoint where I say, well, I'm in the studio this amount of time or, or I'm doing, taking this phone call or this meeting. It's just, you know, I love my life. Like if I had to, I think if I had to solely focus on my practice, you know, I probably would go, I'll probably go crazy, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, but everything that we do, everything that I'm doing with Baya and my own personal practice, it, it's part of an ecosystem, you know, creating when I create, I'm talking with collectors, I'm working with artists, I'm getting ready for shows, I'm navigating the content that we want to present on Black Art in America, the website, what we're going to print with. So it's all part of this Baya ecosystem, essentially. And so in terms of my personal practice, I kind of have these ebbs and flows. Like right now, the only thing that I'm doing, I mean, I'm thinking about work, you know, which is important. I'm gathering assets that I can use in future work, which is all part of it too. But the only physical work that I'm doing or manifestations of work that I'm able to do right now is really my photo montage work. Right. I haven't been able to work to create my mixed media work, which is what 
I would say I'm most known for, you know, uh, because I had to, I actually broke down my studio last year because part of the company was growing so fast during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it was this product that we call Garden Art for the Soul, uh, right. where we isolate these figures from paintings that were created early on and we, you know, manufacture them. And they're designed to go out into the yard so people can have it, some type of art aesthetic in their space. And it's, it's designed for, you know, just consumers to use. It's, it's kind of a, a product in the fine art world, you know, yeah. I mean, in a sense. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the crazy thing about it is that we were always told that, you know, you're not, you know, you don't want to merchandise your work about the work. You want to be a right. fine artist. You want to mm-hmm. sell. And I did that. You know, I've done that. I've, I've never really done a ton of limited editions or anything like that. The majority of the people that's collected my personal work, I mean, 95 percent of that work is all original. But. Let me tell you what happened. I think this is really important is that I was trying to find a a faster way to get into my process of doing these relief sculptures. And so I had this image of my work cut out on the PVC and I had some that was left over in storage. And I go into storage just shortly after Satiri and I had bought the house over by St. Francis at the, by the hospital. And I'm looking, and I'm like, oh man, you know, we got all this art. Like you go in our house, you've been in our house. Yeah. So yeah, we got art all over the walls, but there was really nothing in the, that we could put out into the yard to show that we that we love art mm-hmm. and express our culture. So I, I have this product that was in the store. I said, oh man, I'm gonna stick this out in the yard. So I stuck it out in the yard and I had this epiphany. I'm like, oh man, I think this is, you know, I think other people would dig this too. And so long story short, we ended up producing this product the first two years we probably generated, you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars worth of additional income during the pandemic. We did literally probably about three hundred thousand dollars in garden art alone. Wow! And the crazy thing about it is when you think about how this product or this merchandise is looked down on in this uh, high art arena, but this is the very merchandise that created the revenue that allowed for us to go and buy the commercial building in Atlanta Cash. Mm-hmm. That's going to allow for us to create space mm-hmm. or provide space to showcase fine art. Yeah. So I think I think maybe we need to maybe the systems need to be reconsidered. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because oftentimes we have a lot of entities that are struggling for resources. You know, not every entity has an endowment. You know, everybody's, you know, hand to mouth trying to trying to raise money, raise capital. But maybe we just need to look at how we do business, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that's the gift that I've got. Yeah. Anyway, I can't, I think I kind of got off, but go ahead. No, I really appreciate your ability to you know maneuver through those different strata of the thing, because we do have these concepts, you know, that we we put ourselves in boxes, you know, whether whether it's you know being taken seriously or whether it's serious art or whether it's commercial art or whether it's you know gallery art or whether it's you know something that someone's making in their studio that they think when they die it will be valued, you know, it's like how do we help coach younger artists that are just getting out of school? like how to maneuver through that. And and often I wind up saying, you know, get in your studio, make the work and just focus on the work. And if, if you're not making any money doing it, then, you know, go get a job at the corner, you know, cafe or whatever, and you know, make some money because you have to have enough money so that you're not stressed when you're making the work. And so whatever it takes to be able to continue to create and make the work and to not have guilt about how, you're making money regardless of how you're how you're surviving along the way in the process. Well, I mean, I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. But I would also add that, first of all, they need to understand that there's multiple art worlds. Right. You know, and, exactly. and, and not everything is meant for every every everybody. For me, you get artists that are, you know, that are going to get teaching degrees. You get artists that are just creating, want to be a part of some art guild. You get artists that are looking for gallery representation. But you also get a ton of artists that are self-contained that are applying for shows art festivals around the countries boutique art fairs and and they take it upon themselves to to go to these different venues and present their work to an audience of people who is interested in collecting and take their chances and that's kind of the route that i came through mm-hmm. you know and and each one has this drawback like there's a lot of work that has to be done because if you're going to be self-contained, I mean, that's a viable, that's a viable market and viable audience. You've got to deal with everything from finding time to create the work, applying for shows, travel, hotel, lodging. You also, the gallerist, when you get to the, to the event, you're also dealing with the logistics of setting up, breaking down and everything that's involved. Now, you know, not everybody's cut for that. Right. Okay. But that's right. it's, it's a very viable opportunity. A lot of people make tremendous livings doing that. Now, the, if you want to be a gallery artist, well, keep in mind, you know, there's few galleries when you take into account the number of artists that's creating. Also, the thing that you got to take into account is that 
you know, if you're dealing with a gallery, when you sell a work through the gallery, of course, they're taking typically 50 percent. Yep. Maybe some may take 40 percent. But also the customer is the gallery's customer. So you really have no recourse in terms of establishing a relationship with the people that's buying your work. So what happens if you fall out of favor with the gallery? What happens if the gallery closes? Mm -hmm. Then you have no way of being able to contact this customer base that bought your work to do future business or to leverage future opportunities. Yeah. So each one has its own pros and cons. But, you know, I would just say that they need to understand there's multiple art worlds and multiple markets. And there's a there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's never been a time I think there's more people buying more art now than ever before, but also you get more people creating more images than right. ever before. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that you're right. I think that the art market is obviously all different levels of the art market is really active and alive right now, more than ever, at, at least in my life. Um, and there's, you know, artists that are making work every day and putting on Instagram and, and totally self-contained by yeah. selling the work on Instagram. You know, that is another route to go. There are many, many routes to go. And you know, I think the main thing for a young person that I often tell my younger students is you, you have to have short-term goals and long-term goals. And the short-term goals should lead you toward the long-term mm -hmm. goal that That's you right. ultimately want to get. So wherever that is and whatever that is, you know, be clear in those because the intentions we put in the world are the things that we, we make manifest. And we have to, uh, you know, be clear in our intention, not that we can control reality, but that, you know, if, if we have thoughts, it does shape the nature of the reality that we're living in. One thing you mentioned I would just like to finish with is that to focus on the work. You know, so often I see people focusing on branding and the work really lacks. You know, so that's the biggest thing that I would say. If you, that's right. You know, what's that old saying that if you, you know, if you do things with excellence, you'll, you know, you'll be placed before kings. Like you're going to, mm. the audience will find you. If you're doing that great work, yeah. you know, the people will find you. Absolutely. And the, the original intent of the work is going to come through. So if, you know, if, if you're doing it for um, other reasons other than, you know, that, that inkling that's in your soul that makes you want to make the work, if you're doing it for outside things, that's going to show. It's, it's, it's going to be clear the intent of the work regardless. And I tell my students, I say, you know, make it undeniable. Make it undeniably good. Like put in the time, mm -hmm. put in the effort. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It will pay. It, it'll, it'll, be appreciated because you will have, with your will, you will have spent the time and effort to make something that is undeniably yeah. good. Yeah. And experiment. Don't be afraid to take chances, you know? That is a big you one. Know. You know, and the more skill you acquire, the less that sort of kicks in. So you, you want to constantly challenge yourself. You want to constantly challenge yourself mm -hmm. and take those risks because... We want to put something into the world that helps the whole system, not just expresses our struggles, expresses ourselves. Did you ever read The Reenchantment of Art? Mm -mm. Oh, it's Susie Goblick. She's a, a great writer. I recommend it. I think you'd find it interesting. She talks about the purpose of art. And the purpose of art in, in her mind is not, you know, the old-fashioned version of art for art's sake, you know, like the artists in the garret making you know, big male paintings, you know, and selling them in the marketplace, you know, in New York. But she talks about how, I think it's Julia Butterfly that, that would climb trees out in the great redwood forest and, and camp out in a tree, make a little platform mm -hmm. and take a stand to keep the guys from cutting the trees down. What a vital piece of art that was, that she was actually creating something larger than herself by her, by her actions. And it talks about art like that. Like there's one art project she talked about where an artist went and cleaned up the riverbank along the Rio Grande River and things like that, just collected the trash and that became their art action. And it's, you know, it's sort of conceptual, but it's actually activist. And, and I think that if we can think about how can we utilize our art, even if it's an object we're making, but if, if, it's, if it is an object and we sell it, then what do we do with those proceeds that, that can help save the world or make the world a better place? And, and, and how our actions are holistically affecting the world is an important aspect on a day-to-day -day basis that I, th I think about when I'm in my studio painting. Yeah. You know, I think art, it could it be many things for many people. You know, if you think about from the beginning of time and, you know, the first cave paintings, you know, I mean, art allows for us to make our mark, mm -hmm. you know, and the question becomes, you know, what mark and purpose and intent do you want to make in this world? Now, you know, I do many different things. And I mean, in terms of 
tackling subject I create, works that are focused on, you know, that deal with folklore, that deal with, you know, how we live and the kind of environments that we live in. I also do art, you know, art activism. You know, I did a body of work called the Poor People's Campaign. And, you know, I would encourage people to take a look at that that body of work. So I think for me, you know, art is even more so just, you know, how we attack the canvas, you know, it's how we live our life. For me, you know, part of my practice is Baya, you know, Black Art in America. I mean, it's intentional, everything that we do. From the stories that we tell, I always say stories untold, the stories forgotten, to the social media posts that we post, you know, and to the artists and art organizations that we want to support. I think there's an art to it all. You know, there's a certain way that we maneuver the world and a certain way that we make our mark, you know, in this world. And so that mark is not only on the canvas, but out in real life and in real relationships. And I definitely agree with you in, in terms of having something that you're interested in that's bigger than yourself. And for me, that's what Baya is. That, that's that that's that legacy project, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, the question is like, if you can make art about anything, what is that work about? You know, what is it, you know, what does it speak to, you know? So if you could find purpose beyond yourself or find something larger than yourself to support and make statements about and try to affect change, then that's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing indeed. Thank you, Najee. Najee Dorsey, Black Art in America. Thank you both. From the Indians who welcome the pilgrims and to the buffaloes who once ruled the plain. Like the vultures circling beneath the dark clouds looking for the rain. Looking for the rain. Just like the city that stagger on the coastline in a nation that just can't stand much more. Like the forest buried beneath the highway, never had a chance to grow. Never had a chance to grow. And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the hills Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter in America And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows what to say Save your soul Lord knows from winter in America The Constitution A noble piece of paper with free society the struggle but they died in vain and now democracy is a ragtime on the corner hoping for some rain it look like either hoping hoping for some rain and I see the robins perched in barren treetops Watching last its races marching across the floor But just like the peace sign that vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America and all of the hillers have been killed or be 
Just like that, we've come to the end of another Art House Radio. Thanks for being with us today. We've had our guest, Najee Dorsey. Najee, thanks for being with us today. Oh, it's been a tremendous pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank you for having me. Likewise. Thanks, Najee. Visit blackartinamerica.com and on Instagram. That's Najee Dorsey, N-A-J-E-E dot D-O-R-S-E-Y. Najee Dorsey on Instagram. See that work. And I want to thank Sho Irakawa. Sho, thanks. Let's go back to the beginning. We heard Frolic by Jake X. Fussell. Brand new music by Jake X. Fussell. Columbus's own Jake X. Fussell. Jake X. Fussell. That album won't be released until 2022, but that was the first cut off the album, Frolic. And then we heard... DJ Big Woo with Monday Chicago Steppers from 2017. And then we just heard Gil Scott Heron with Winter in America from 1974. Behind us here, we hear Jake X. Fussell. On the way out, we're going to hear Prince, a newly released song, Welcome to America, recorded in 2011, but just released. Thank you for being with us today. Appreciate you listening to The Art House. You can see the complete playlist at arthouseradio.com. That's A-R-T-H-A-U-S radio.com. I want to thank WCUG 88.5 for letting us be on the radio in Columbus State University. Thank you. If you get a chance, get out and see some art today. Go out into your local community, wherever you are. Visit your local art institutions. In Columbus, we have the Columbus Museum, we have the Heritage Art Center, we have the Highland Gallery, the Do Good Fund, and Passaquan, and we have the Beau Bartlett Center. Get out and see some art. And then shoot, get in your studio and make some art. Make some art, express yourself. Everybody's got a story to tell, tell your story. We need it, the world needs it. 
Make some art. Do the best you can. We're all in this together. Let's make this world a better place. Thanks for listening. See you right back here next week. Love and light, y'all. Get fired, rehired, and get a $700 billion tip. Come on in, sit right down, and fill up your pockets, yeah. Mass media, information overload. Welcome to America. Distracted by the features of the iPhone. Got an application to in other words, taken by a pretty face. Somebody's watching you. Welcome to America. Hook up later at the iPad. We can meet in my place. Welcome to America. Welcome to America. Where everything and nothing that Google says is hip. We will not raise your taxes. Read our lips. Welcome to America. Welcome to the big show. To America. Look up for something when there ain't no place to go. Welcome to America. Except inside America. That's the only place I know. To America. Transformation happens deep within. to America. One of our greatest exports was a thing called jazz. Think today's music will last.
welcome to America. We snatch bass players, not purses. Keep playing, it gets worse. Cried a river over you. 